Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Hey, good morning. How's everybody? I want to I start by, uh, was that just some special worship? I, I don't know what was going on, but I... Uh, that was, that was awesome. I, I was amped in the back, and, uh, and we're so blessed to have those guys. Uh, my name is Danny. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Kessid. Uh, I'm going to be sharing with you today. I'm one of the pastors. Before I pray and we start the, the message, uh, I just want to give you guys just a, a quick update. Our building uh, is going to be uh, having an update here in the next few weeks with Pastor Tom. He'll let you know everything that's going on. Uh, but if you want to help us spread the word, because already uh, a lot of excited people are trying to book things in our building, that, that, uh, and, and it's not that we, we don't want to fill the building with things, it's that we just don't know enough about the building and the way it's going to work, that probably for the first year, we're just going to take a step back and, and make sure like nothing breaks. So if you could help us with that, uh, that would be great. But it's, it is really, really coming along. Uh, we're at a point right now where we're texturing, we're already painting some spaces, there's some flooring going in. Uh, and it's, it's just really exciting. So I want to start by thanking all the volunteers all the, for all the help that they have put in down there. So much work. Um, I also, I want to thank those of you that are faithfully giving. Uh, I, I know it's hard to give sometimes, especially when you can't touch it, when it's not tangible. But some of you are just faithful. And uh, it has made the entire project so much so much healthier because we're able to really just pay for everything cash that we have. And, uh, and that along with the loan, we're able to, to so far stay within budget and things are going well. So uh, Pastor Tom, as I said, will come and talk with you guys more. But uh, it's, uh, it's special and a lot is happening. So thank you guys very much. Okay? All right. Let me pray and we'll, uh, we'll start. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this afternoon. Thank you for every person in this room, for those that are watching online. Thank you for the stories that you're about to touch. Thank you for the way you surprised us in the last service and the way I know you're going to surprise us now. We just surrender this entire thing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This series that we're in, as you can see, is called The Quickening. And a quickening is really another word for an awakening, another word for sort of a, a, a realization. A quickening comes from uh, this verse in the Psalms where David says that God quickened his heart. He awakened his heart. He revealed something through immense and sudden revelation, something that he hadn't known before. Every single symbol on the back screen is a topic, and it is something that we're going to be taking over the next couple months and looking at because every single person in this room is going to have multiple spiritual and emotional awakenings throughout their lives. And so we want to look at those in context of the Bible so that we can kind of present those to God as possible awakenings for us to experience with him. This particular week's awakening symbol is the dove. And I'm going to share with you uh, multiple illustrations within the text that help us to understand what this awakening symbol represents. And the very first text I'm going to share with you is where I got the dove from, and it's probably one of the most famous quickenings in, in all the Bible, and it's within the story of Noah. At this point in earth's history, great wickedness had taken over the world. God looked at the world and said, I'm going to start this thing over. If you ever looked at your own family and thought that, you're like, I just feel like, I just feel like maybe I should start this thing over. 
Uh, God, God actually did that. He's like, yeah, I'm just, this isn't working out. So I'm going to start this thing over. And he picked one man and his family, his sons and their wives. And he said, you're going to be my righteous family. And I'm going to start the entire earth over. I'm going to send a flood. You're going to survive in an ark and a huge boat. And then I promise you that you will be safe and that I will bless you and that through you, the wickedness from this world will be halted, will be stunted. And although we're still fallen, although they're still fallen, the wickedness at that time was just rampant and everywhere. And God knew that in just a few generations, the world would have tumbled in on itself. And so Noah decides, I'll be your guy. So he builds an ark, takes him years and years and years. He tells his sons, they look at his dad like they're crazy. They said, I don't want to spend, first off, I don't want to live with you. Next, I don't want to live with you on a boat. Like that's just, that's just, nobody wants to move home that way. So, but, but he convinced them and he said, listen, it's, it's move home or die. That's the kind of dad Noah was. You can die or you can move home. So they move home and of course the water comes, the floods come and everyone perishes except for Noah and the animals on the ark. Now at this point, I don't know if you've noticed, but God doesn't specifically tell Noah how long he's going to be in the ark. He just says, I'm going to save you. So after about a week or so, I'm sure Noah's like, well, cool, the rain stopped, but the water's still here. After two weeks, I have a feeling the, the daughter-in-laws are like, what is going on with your crazy dad? We've been in this boat trapped with your family for like 20 days. And most of us can barely handle Christmas. So 20 days trapped in a boat with your in-laws. Just think about it for a second. 30 days comes up and, and I mean, everything's stressed, I would imagine. 40 days comes and Noah's like, man, I, I got to do something. And so he goes out onto the bow of the boat, and this is what it says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 6. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark, and he made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So these three words, so no one knew. Remember that. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove. And she did not return to him anymore. The phrase, so he knew, the phrase, so Noah knew, is the symbol of the quickening. When Noah received the dove and he saw the olive branch in its mouth, he knew that God's fulfillment to save him and his family was true. He knew that God was going to fulfill his promise. Up until that point, it was all faith. I don't know if a lot of people realize that. We think all these biblical characters just have some sort of faith we don't have, some sort of knowledge we don't have, some sort of understanding we don't have. Like they're just solid, you know, substantial people. You got to have faith like Noah. You got to have faith like this guy. You got to have faith like that guy. Yeah, your faith is a faith that says, I'm going to try it, but I hope this works out. It doesn't say that it's then Noah went and told his family so he could finally convince them God's promise was true. It says, so Noah knew. It's at that point Noah knew. God has fulfilled his promise. That's why we're using this dove. This dove is a small symbol. This small symbol was meant, I'll put it on the screen, to show that God was with them and had fulfilled his promise to save those who believed. That because of his promise, 
he would rebuild the world. That's what the dove symbol represented. That God was with them and that because God himself had promised it, God would use them and their lives to rebuild the world. Peter writes this about promises. He says in 2 Peter 1.4, He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. He has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Promises are scattered all throughout the Bible, and they're meant to be experienced, I believe, a lot like Noah experienced them. They're meant to be heard. They're meant to be weighed. They're meant to be risked. They're meant to be accomplished, and then they're meant to be waited upon, to sit and wait for that olive branch to come back. But every once in a while, you got to send out a dove. You can't just sit on the ark and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. Noah just didn't wait for his ark to run up on land. He sent out questions to God. He sent out uh, concerns to God. That's what this dove represented. It represented a symbol that God would fulfill his promise when it came back to him. Here's the first principle I want to give you regarding biblical promises, and I hope you write them down. They're on our app, and they're also uh, on our website if you want to get them. But this is the first one that I hope impacts you like it impacted me, and that's this about God's promises. God's promises are precious, magnificent, and have extreme value. They're never casual, they're never absent-minded, and they're never cheap. They're never just like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that. We make promises like that to people, like, yeah, yeah, I promise, I promise, it'll be fine. Gods are never given that way because gods are never fulfilled that way. They're big, and they're heavy, and they're specific. For example, in Isaiah 41.10, God says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be, not, be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is a big old promise. God is like, I got you. This is the I got you promise. I got you. All of you. I got all your doubts. I got all your fears. I got all the mess in your life. I got you. That's what he's saying here. He just doesn't say it simple. He goes, I've got the things you worry about. I'm with you when you feel like you're alone. I'm with you when you're dismayed at the things happening around you. I'm with you when you're weak. I'll help you when you need it. And when you fall down, I'll uphold you. Not because of you. I'll uphold you with my righteousness because that's the kind of God that I am. My promises are magnificent, precious, and have extreme value. Another example, Joshua 1.9. This one, God made the promise, and now he's reminding Joshua and the people of the promise. He says, have I not commanded you? I like God. Sometimes you just read verses and you, you think of God like as this like monotone priest with like a Santa Claus beard and a robe. And I think of God more as like a, like a sassy old woman. Because there's all kinds of writing like that in the Bible. I, I do. I think of him as like just a sassy old woman. And like I'm coming to her and I'm like frustrated and I just want to complain. And God's like, have I not already commanded you? Like you turn around and you get back out there. He says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you. Not just here, not just one day, wherever you go. I got you. I've always had you. Another principle around God's promises. Whenever God gives us a promise, we can be sure he will do what he has said. Hebrews 10.23 reminds us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
For he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. He's not like other people in your life who have made promises. He's not. And that's why promises are such a hard preach. They're such a hard talk because the, re- the reality is the amount of broken promises sitting in these chairs right now is staggering. The amount of broken promises both given and received sitting on this stage right now is pretty hefty. Promises are hard because we're not good at it. We try and then we fail and then we feel like promises just make us look like fools so we might as well not even talk about it. And then God litters his scripture with it. And we're like, yeah, yeah, promises. But God, in and of who he is, when he gives a promise, he can be sure, and you can be sure, that he will do what he has said. God is not going to give you a promise and then say, you know what? Maybe I didn't mean that. And it's not because you're awesome. I know many of you thought that. You're like, because he loves me so much, right? That's why he doesn't break promises. No. And he does love you so much. But so much of the the reasoning behind why God does things is about God. God doesn't break promises because it's outside his character. It's outside who he is. When God promises and then fulfills promises, it's a matter of demonstrating the nature of who he is to us. God is not going to operate one way one day and then another the next because that's how the world full of fallen people, darkness as in Noah's days, that's how the world operates and God doesn't. People say one thing, then go and do something else. Many will be kind and supportive in your presence, but later will oppose you. But God, he doesn't operate that way. He keeps all his promises that he makes. He fulfills all the conditions of them. Yes, because he loves you, but more because it's in his nature to do so. And it's not just the God of the Old Testament, it's the God of the New. Jesus Christ says, it says about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. When you hear the promises of Jesus, when you hear the story of Jesus and what his life represents, you oftentimes, I know I do, you think, well, this was like 2,000 years ago and it's, a lot has happened and culture is so different. Not for promising God. Not for this God that fulfills his nature every single day in the lives of his people. Nothing has changed. This is a promise you can claim. That what God gives as a promise, you can be sure he will do what he has said he will do. Next, when God fulfills these promises, and when you finally recognize it, God wants us to give him glory and praise because he truly has worked on our behalf. We don't do this a lot. And I'll, I'll, I'll be gentle about it, but uh, it didn't come out quite as gentle as I would have hoped at the other service, so we'll, we'll try. But um, I, we get a lot of prayer requests, and we get a lot of people who are concerned for things in their lives. And I am a person that also believes prayer is deep and effective. I don't get, I think our praise to prayer request ratio is like one to a thousand. For every thousand requests we get, for us to pray for things that are needed in people's lives, we maybe get one praise that is someone recognizing the good things God's already doing in their life. So let me just start by uh, giving you a quick illustration. Take your hand, put it over your chest, feel your heartbeat. Yeah, that has nothing to do with you. That heartbeat that you feel within your chest right now is because of God's goodness and grace and his promise of bestowing life upon the earth to his children when you fill your lungs with air, when you wake up every morning, 
These things are all things that God is doing for you. See, when we're sick, we pray for healthy. We pray for health. But when we're healthy, we never, ever thank God for it. And we do at the beginning. Like, the disease is cured, or, or I accomplished this thing, or, oh, I'm so glad this worked. But we actually don't thank God for our health while we have it. We only uh, ask God for our health to return once we've lost it. This is often how most of us operate when it comes to promises. We're concerned about the promises God has made to us when they're gone, but we don't thank God for the promises in our life that he's already fulfilled that you have right now. When you're unemployed, I'll tell you what, you pray for a job. But after you've had the job for a while, it's just a job. And they're lucky you worked there. Because they are so kinds of dysfunctional. But we don't thank God as often. I'm not saying everybody. I'm just saying most everybody. We don't thank God for the employment or the paycheck or the ability to take our our lungs full of air or the heart that's beating in our chest without pain. We don't thank God for for, uh, the grandbabies when they're healthy. We thank God and pray to God for the grandbabies when they're sick. And I think there's something broken about that. I don't think that's how creation is supposed to work. And I think that's why promises are so difficult for us. Because God wants us to give him glory and praise He wants us to do that because he truly has worked on our behalf. In 1 Kings, we read where Solomon has been praying. In fact, he had been blessing the Lord for his faithfulness. And Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. Let's read what his prayer was to God. 1 Kings 8, 5, 6, 56 says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. He's thanking God for rest. According to all that he promised... Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by, my Mo- by Moses, his servant. He's thanking God for his working for like the last 100 or 200 years. He's thanking God before for things he did when he wasn't even around. Have you ever thanked God for something he did in the 1800s? I didn't thank God for something he did in the 90s recently. I mean, I, like, can you imagine? Like, God, thank you so much. Back in 1755 when you did that thing. You're so awesome. This is what Solomon says to do. He says to recognize that all the promises are being unfolded, but the ones God does, we need to recognize. And Moses and and, uh, Solomon was wise enough to recognize that even back to the day of Moses, God was fulfilling promises all the way up till his day. God did exactly what he had promised to do, and Solomon was honoring the Lord by acknowledging it. He had a grateful heart, and he wanted the people to respond in gratitude also. And he's the representation of biblical wisdom we have. Promises are important, and they affect us. They change us. They cause us to be able to see one another different when we are grateful for one another's fulfilling of promises because of God in our lives. Solomon also wrote in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make you straight, make straight your paths. So for those of you who don't really feel like promises are important, I would use this verse for you and say you shouldn't trust yourself about that. Because they are. And they always have been. And it may be some of the reason that you deal with some of the things in your life. Because if I was to ask you right now to weigh in your two hands your story, And in those two hands to ask yourself how many things you're dealing with consequences, both good and bad, because consequences can be good or bad, are in relationship to promises you've kept or promises you've broken. 
In one hand, you have promises you've broken. In the other hand, you have promises you've kept. How many situations in your life right now exist because of promises you've kept or promises you've broken? If you were to evaluate this and really write it down, you would suddenly find a story riddled with broken and blessed promises, broken and fulfilled promises. You would be able to be authentic and honest about what is happening in your life based on your ability to keep promises, to believe promises, the consequences of breaking promises or fulfilling promises. This has such a huge impact within all of our stories. It has such deep meaning, especially when it's tied to God and who he is. God is saying through Solomon, I am aware of what you are facing. In that verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. He's saying, I know your needs. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And lean on me. He's saying, don't believe anyone's promises above my own. Because no matter how good things get, eventually they will struggle. And it is often the promises that you lean into that cause you to survive. My wife and I have been married for 20 years this year. It'll be 21 in November. And it has been the most amazing marriage you've ever heard of. Like hardly any problems whatsoever. That's what's called a lie. And I wanted you to experience that because so many people, uh, that's how their Facebook appears, right? Everything's wondrous. Everything's healthy all the time. My wife and I just a few years ago were in a fight. And I had just started therapy. And uh, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm strong in emotional health. I'm strong in understanding your story and, and how it weighs. That's why I work on a lot of, I've done some of this promise work, promises I've kept, promises I haven't, how it's impacted me. And my wife is ahead of me in therapy, so she cheats all the time and uses big words and, <laughs> and like <laughs> says things like, you haven't even graduated therapy, you don't even know, you know, and I was like, well, one day we were fighting and uh, I was being particularly selfish that, that day. And uh, she finally said to me, and she said, you are such, you're acting like such a narcissist. Yeah, right? Right? I know. That's all I'm going to tell you about the story. So that's, <laughs> and that's it. I forgave her and moved on. I haven't thought about it since. No, I, I got so mad because I didn't completely understand what the word meant. And I said, I am not a narcissist. But if I was a narcissist, I'd be the best narcissist you ever saw. She she took me to therapy with that, and I had to understand just what that meant with some of my tendencies. The promises, though, within our story and within our marriage are what we often have to rely on, not those kinds of things. Not situations or, or scars or wounds or all those kinds of things. What we often have to come back to is just this promise that we made to each other that we are going to be in each other's lives, we are going to be a part of each other's stories, and that we are going to try to be the parents we, we always wanted and hoped we could be and we're going to fail and we're going to mess up and we're going to own it and we now get to have these conversations with our kids as a matter of fact my daughters came in just three days ago and paused us because we were having a heated discussion about sourdough bread we had a sourdough bread fight in our house because my wife doesn't buy the right brand there's one brand I really like and I was like why do you keep buying this she's like it's the one you like and I'm like it is not the one that I like the one that I like is, and I started describing it, and she goes, this one looks as close enough to it. And we got in a whole discussion, and my daughter, 15, came out, and she goes, are you guys having a sourdough bread fight right now? <laughs> and she knows. She knows that we love each other, and she knows that, yeah, yeah, okay, it doesn't really matter. It does matter a little bit, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that much. 
The promises to be with one another, to love one another, to forgive one another, those are the things that we build our marriage on. And those are the things, if you really want to know who God is, that you have to build your relationship with God on. You have to build it on the promises that he gives you. And you have to understand that those promises oftentimes come with conditions. Most people don't realize that about God's promises. Not all of them, but some of them. Some of God's promises are conditional. For instance, if we do this, the scripture says God will do that. Let me give you one, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You notice it starts with an if and it finishes with a then. It doesn't say, here's what I'm going to do. You guys do whatever you want. It says, if this happens, and this particular if is pretty heavy. He says, if you are called uh, by my name, humble yourself, pray and seek my face, and by the way, turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. He promises to do something based on what? Something they in turn promise to do. This is a lot of God's promises. And the reason some of you have blamed God for being the promise breaker portion of the relationship when really it's always sat in your hands. God's more than happy to bless you. God's more than happy to walk with you. He's more than happy. He's content inside the mess of your story. But the truth is God's not going to sit there and continue to open doors so you can abuse people. So you can abuse yourself. So you can continue to scar and then blame God for things. I got a great illustration recently uh, from, I was talking with someone about their adult child and how their adult child is is struggling and in, and in pain and making poor decisions. They're like, we just want to do something about it. And I'm like, yes, yes, I know that feeling because you just want to, if they're in a car, you want to pull up your car alongside them and just crash them into the road, right? So that you can be there and scoop them up and take them home and bandage them up and make them okay. But I got great advice from an old man one time who had raised some kids. And he said, you want to know how to raise your adult children? You get in a car just as fast and you stay right with them. You stay close to them. You stay connected throughout their story. You call them and invite them over. You send them letters. You love on them. You send them emails. You don't participate and you don't let the dysfunction into your, into your home, perhaps, or into the other siblings, but you never give up. You never do anything. You don't pull up alongside them and climb into the window. You don't get in front of them. You don't call the police ahead of them, right? Make sure and roadblock them. This is an illustration. Sometimes you got to call the police, but... but right? You don't set them up. You just stay with them so that the first time they spin out and wreck, you're the first face they see. He said, that's how God loves you. God stays with you. He never leaves you. That's why that song, so beautiful, that Highlands song, it says he stays with me in the Highlands or in the valleys. He's with me no matter what. And I'm oftentimes like, don't follow me, stay out. So he steps outside my campfire. I can't see him anymore, but he's just there. He's cold. And he's lonely. I think God experiences that. He wants to be there inside my story. He doesn't make it all perfect. He just wants to be in it with me. And I'm like, because you let me do this, because you didn't fix it like you promised. And he's like, I said, if you turned to me, return to me. If you humbled yourself. I said, if you seek to my face, if you, if you uh, turn from your wicked ways, then I would hear you. Then I would be there for you. But you don't want me there, and God's a gentleman. He never forces himself into any situation. And so he steps back, and he follows along, and you think you're four-wheeling through life, and you've lost him, but the whole time he's just there. He's droning you the whole time. 
He's following you up in the hills. He knows exactly where you are. He can see everything you're doing. But you've asked him not to be a part. And then you blame him when he doesn't fulfill the promises that you broke. I speak from experience. I'm not condemning. I have blamed God for many things. I'm really, really articulate and good at it. I have gotten so messy with him that, that I felt right on the verge of disrespect. And every time in the midst of my mess, God comes back and reminds me of all these ways in which I broke promises to him. And so I repent, and so I return, and so I return, I turn from my wickedness, and I thank God's miles back. He's in that city, he's in that church, he's in that situation. I turn around and he's just outside my campfire <laughs> every time. It's kind of tripped me out most of the time. I'm like, whoa, how long have you been there? I never left. It's kind of spooky. It's kind of embarrassing, too, because now, now you realize this is kind of embarrassing, but all the evil things that we all do, God watches. Yeah, there's no, there's no privacy. He's like the worldwide web of holiness. He's just, once it's out there, you can't get it off. Like, it's just, he sees it. And he does. He participates in your story so much that you don't even realize that you're the one keeping him from helping you to see just how he wants to fulfill it. Some of God's promises are conditional. Promises are, I like this quote, not given without a plan that involves faith and responsibility, though many times we have to wait for them to be revealed. Many times, like Noah, we have to build the boat, load the animals, get the kids, and it's on that 39th day when we're like, I don't think I can do this. I'm about to jump off and swim. That God gives us an idea, a flutter in our heart, a dove to release. And so we do, thinking nothing's really going to happen. And then you end up in a church service like this where someone you don't even know preaches a message that you know for a fact is just for you. This is your olive branch. This is God letting you know he's never, ever left and he never, ever will. He loves you. He forgives you. And he has not broken one single promise to you. And if you will return to him, if you will humble yourself and confess then you, too, will receive the fulfilled promises of God. It's right around here, usually, that most people lose faith in God's promises. They walk through these different things. They live believing God's promises are special and magnificent. They trust and believe he will do what he said, even. Maybe they even give him glory and praise every time he comes through. And so they strive, they believe, to live their lives within his will. And then one day, in spite of the sermons, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of all the things that they've done to honor God and who he is, one day a situation arises that doesn't go the way they had hoped. A sickness shows up, a divorce happens, a friendship is lost, a relationship is fractured. This leaves the follower of God feeling as if they've been forgotten, or maybe like Noah, adrift. When faced with painful trials and attacks of doubt, we always, almost always, end up finding ourselves in a place where we say boldly, God, why aren't your promises keeping these things from my life? If I do all these things, the pastor said, if I do all these things, the Bible says, more importantly, why aren't your promises keeping difficulty for, from my life? And so we begin to build up bitterness because, once again, we figured out a way to blame God for the broken promises within our stories. But here's the reality. 
God doesn't promise lack of pain and difficulty within your life. Nowhere in Scripture does he say that. Nowhere in Scripture is that part of anything he has said that he wants to do or is going to do. This breaks a lot of people. And yet, in many ways, without realizing it, it's supposed to bless them. Because what people come to realize who dive to this deep level of promise understanding is that although God doesn't promise lack of pain and difficulty, the most beautiful thing happens when everything else leaves and you're distracted by nothing but your own sorrow. God himself steps into the firelight of your life and you realize that yes, those pain and difficulty, difficult situations are there, but that God himself promises to stay with us in spite of them. No matter the depth, no matter the darkness, he says, I will stay with you in spite of it. Hebrews 13, simply and beautifully put, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. I am alongside you. You are my child and I am your God. And we will walk through whatever is facing you together. This is woven into the story of Jesus. It's actually not just something that's neat about him. It is actually him. Almost 700 years before Jesus was even born, the prophet Isaiah said about him, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. The prophet is saying one will come that will be with you, that will, that will present itself relationship to you. And guess what? This is a promise. Sure enough, 700 and some odd years later, there's a man who was promised a wife. And he did all the right things. And then she came to him wide-eyed and concerned. And she said, listen, I got to talk to you. An angel came and talked to me. And now I'm pregnant. And the man said, oh, an angel. Okay. He got advice from people. He was a man of wisdom and a man of integrity. He decided to, to annul the relationship softly and quietly in order not to shame her too bad. But he certainly wasn't going to get into a relationship with someone so dishonest. Because he fulfilled his promises and clearly she did not. And so an angel comes to this man one night. And he says to him, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. He says to Joseph, Joseph, it's all good. God's got you. This baby is the one Isaiah talked about. His name will be Emmanuel, for he is God born. He is God with you. And so we know the story Joseph takes the baby and they have him and they raise him and Joseph teaches him carpentry. Because that's what dads do, right? They just teach what they know. What kind of a dad situation would that be anyways, knowing like your, your other dad is awesome, but, but I can make a table. You know, I mean, it's just, <laughs> people don't think about that, but it's a stressful situation to be in. But Joseph loved that baby, right? And raised that son and he lived a, a beautiful life and had a wonderful existence. And right around 30 years old, he came forth with this proclamation that he was the Savior, that he was the one, the great promise fulfilled. And this is what it says about that day. 
It's absolutely amazing. Matthew 3.16, Jesus is baptized by John. And look at it, read it, soak it in, because this is the music of Scripture, and this doesn't get any more harmonious than this. Then Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God, what? Descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. The dove returns. Yes, the dove from the original story, the same symbol returns. And I'll put up the quote I said about Noah, and now I'll add it to Jesus. This small symbol was meant to show that God was with them and had fulfilled his promise to save those who believed that because of his promise, he would rebuild the world. This is when everybody's quickening happened. This is when people went, oh, hold on. I remember a dove in another story. And God used a man to rebuild a wicked world. And here's Jesus like, got my own dove. You guys see my dove? Because I see a dove. Because I'm here to rebuild this broken place. Because I'm the fulfillment of promise. See, this is what it's all about. It's about having that quickening. It's about understanding Jesus came to rebuild your wicked life. Stop pretending it's not wicked. He showed up to rebuild it. He knows it's wicked. He knows the decisions we're all making. The best we can do is accept the promise that he will rebuild it if we humble ourselves, turn from our sin, and awaken, quicken our hearts to the reality that this world is spinning fast in a direction away from God. And guess what? God's fully aware fully in control, and fully willing to fulfill his promise in your life anyways. In spite of it. Because God wants to be with you. How beautiful is that? What else is there than that? This is why we can have strong marriages, build beautiful churches, watch God uh, restore our families, all of these things because he is the one that is with us restoring us, proclaiming for all time that whenever we are suffering within this world, we can find our rest in the one who came to bear it alongside us, Emmanuel, God with us. From this one example alone, we can be assured that even when we do not feel God's presence in the midst of our pain, we can still believe in his promise no matter. For even in the most difficult times, when you cannot see his hand, you can trust his heart. And you can know for certain that he has not forsaken you. This, this, is, this is the whole thing. This is what we're doing. This is why we're here. This is why we're building this, this congregation in this community so we can flood it with more wicked people like you. <laughs> right? And me. And then we will show them through our turned lives, through the promises of God, that he changes people like us. But if we can't have returned and restored lives, then people are going to come in and see a bunch of other lonely, broken people and be like, I don't know why I want to spend my Sundays here. I'd rather spend my Friday community at the bar. They accept me there. We need to love people like no one else because we're loved like no one else. But it starts with believing the promise that Jesus is with you no matter, accepting that he has never broken a promise to you, and that because of what is woven into his identity, his Emmanuel, his God with us, he receives you just as you are, as you are, no change. He is willing to walk it out. He is willing to trust, even if it hurts him. And what he asks in return is, are you? Are you? 
It's a beautiful place and a beautiful season to be. And it's going to cost us a lot. But it cost him more. I'd like to give you a chance just to sit in that. I'm going to have everyone close their eyes. I just want you to sit in that. This isn't a salvation prayer. This is, this is a time to think about how many times you have broken promises, how many times you've dropped the ball, how many times you've missed the mark. And Jesus has been there waiting anyways. Maybe you don't know him well, and there's no magic prayer that invites God into your life. You just ask him. You just repent. You turn. And you say, God, I want to be different, and I don't know how. But if you're near to me, make it known to me. Let me feel it. Let me experience it. You just sit in this place with his presence all around you. And you ask God, Lord, I know you know my story. I know you understand the journey that I've been on. God, I, I've never shared all the secret things, but today I understand you already know them. Lord, I have felt alone at times. I've had a lot of people break a lot of promises, and so it's hard for me to trust. Share with him about those promises. Share with him about the things in your life that have let you down. Broke your heart. He already knows. He knows better than you do. And then just pray to him, Lord, I, I want to be different. I want to be whole. I want to live my life alongside your path for me, not my own path. And so, Lord, I recognize that you are with me now. That you always have been and that you'll never leave. And God, I thank you. I praise you for being such an amazing promise keeper. I thank you for the dark times. Now that I look back, I can see you. I draw closer to you. And it's scary. And I'm afraid. But God, I want to fulfill more promises. The ones you've set for me. I want to experience more life filled with your blessing and your love and the joy of your presence. I want to smile more. I want to laugh more. I want to enjoy the people I have while I have them. I want to see the things you've given to me, the way you've orchestrated so much into who I am. I want to be grateful. Not just in my heart, but on my face and with my hands. I want this burden and this weight to be shed from my shoulders. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my singleness. Thank you for my marriage. Thank you for my children. Thank you, God, for the struggle that points me to you. Thank you for the songs that break my heart. Thank you for choosing someone like me. Loving someone like me. I sit in your presence now. I proclaim you worthy. O 
God who's with us.